did you have a favorite subject in school? I liked math. I was good at science. I stopped trying at about freshman, sophomore year and started getting into more trouble. Almost failed out. That's a very common thread in this show. <laughs> so you're in good company. I was thrown out of practically every class and every school that I ever went to. School was a bitch for me. I was better at music and art because everyone was a whack job there. But I had the social acuity of a turnip growing up and it was, it was tough. I didn't want to do any homework. I didn't want to be in the classroom. And I did not want to be told what to do. Came home to tell my mom and I got maybe the first three words out of my mouth, which started with, I dropped out of high school today. And that was the end of that conversation. So I was thrown out of the house. That was about the 20th time, but that was the final time. After two years of high school, I got sent to a private school because I had made a bet with one of the kids on the bus that I could go a whole year without taking any books home. How did that go? I, I mean, I don't think I could have ever done that. <laughs> I didn't get great grades, but I did manage to win the bet. Before any world-changing innovation, there was a moment, an event, a realization that sparked the idea. Before It Happened is a show about that idea. Each week, we take a deep dive into a singular light bulb moment that inspired the visionaries to push forward and change our lives. I'm your host, Donna Laughlin. Nearly 20 years ago, I launched a public relations firm with the sole purpose of helping visionaries tell their stories to the world. Now, two decades later, I want to share those stories and more with you. This podcast takes you on a journey before it happened with the innovators who imagine and are still imagining the future. On the show, you're here from the trailblazers themselves as they tell their own before it happened story. Grab your passport and let's go on a journey together. So here we are. It's the end of 2021. FY before it happened, it's the end of our very first year of existence. We'll be taking a short break for the holiday, and we'll be back in January to keep adding to this little library we've built. And I personally can't wait. But before I wish everyone a happy new year, I wanted to share some of my favorite highlights from our first 26 episodes. It was nearly impossible to dig out all the great moments but it's the season of giving, so that's exactly what we did. And I hope you enjoyed listening to them as much as I did living them. When this podcast first started, initially it was conversations with some of the most amazing innovators and visionaries that are working in the technology sectors as well as science and space, real futurists. And then I kind of stood back, I realized, wow, I know some really amazing book authors. I know some really amazing artists. I know some really amazing educators. And so the show kind of elastized into being about people who are all about change and making the world a better place, regardless of their vantage point. And yes, technology might be part of those, but it really comes down to the human spirit and the big idea that something needs to change. 
So whether they're saving the planet or they're feeding people or they're sending the next flying car to outer space, we're going to cover that. Whatever technology that is created before you turn 10 or 15 is just part of the background. Whatever technology that is invented between when you're 15 and 25 is something you think you can build a career on. Whatever is comes after you're 25 or 30 or so is against the law of nature. Uh, <laughs> you know, people don't want to learn new technology. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people think that artificial intelligence is just like I don't know what to call it, like the more of the internet of things that are in people's homes and the Alexas and the series. And that does have some, but the amplification of what can be done with intelligence and the degree in what it can be done, right? I think that's where a question I have for you is, are we adapting or are we adopting? Yeah, I would like everyone to be comfortable enough with the technology so that we can adopt it to our values, so it can actually reflect what we want in the world. You know, something about automated vehicles is really important to emphasize, which is that it's taken a long time to get here. I often ask people when the first year was that automated cars were on the road, obeying stoplights and stop signs. It wasn't 2002. It wasn't 1992. It was 1982 or 83. This happened to have been in Pittsburgh, where a van, quite a big van, mind you, but a, you know, a, a van drove down the road at a very five miles per hour, but it drove without a driver, stopping at stop signs. That was the first automated car. So I'm seeing more and more crypto accepted here signs. If you look at the next 10 years, where do you think blockchain and crypto will be? I definitely see it becoming a lot more ubiquitous in terms of the benefits that blockchain brings, right? So I think that wallet technology is going to be the killer app for blockchain, just as the browser was the killer app for the internet. I see some really fantastic wallet technologies emerging that make the management of public-private key infrastructure very easy for the end user. Do you, do you feel that everybody needs a black belt in blockchain to know what to do next? My goal would be is that it is not required, right? My goal is that the user experiences that will emerge and the tooling that will emerge will make it very easy for the consumer to interact with blockchain. Number one, I would say it's not a scary technology. It's totally obtainable. It can be absolutely safe for your company to use. You don't have to go all in at once. You can start small, get comfortable with the technology and work through it slowly. We here at Casper Labs are here to walk this journey with you. As experts in the field, we've structured the company in a manner to help enterprises walk the path. And I think the final thing I would say is blockchain technology is here to stay. And it's only a matter of time before consumers will start demanding those newer and better experience and greater trust and transparency and better products. I've had the idea to create a podcast for a while, but I was going to sit down and write a book first. And this is pre-COVID, so I had weekends, nights, but I didn't have enough time to sit down and write a book. And then I realized I have a podcast. I'm going to be able to bring the collective creative team together, writer, producer, editing team, and we're going to go on a journey together. It was just something I felt deeply instinctively that I needed to do, that I had an inkling that I needed to not copy or chase or replicate somebody else's podcast. I just felt that there were stories that weren't being told. 
So I sat down and I made a list of the people that I thought had interesting stories. And then it ended up landing on before it happened because the it part was literally what I felt in my core. And I had a little heartstring when I hear the before it happened, that moment before it happened, when somebody had something to say and they needed to make that idea come to life. Jay Gerard of Damon Motors actually set out to create not just a better two-wheeled vehicle, but to reduce the carbon footprint around the world and in a very effective way. But his idea came from, not for his passions for motorcycle, which he clearly has, but his passion for being able to change the demand and the need for fossil fuels. I was in Jakarta and I realized if I've dedicated my life to getting the world off oil and the car side of it's handled, Ironically, there's this motorcycle side, and the motorcycle side in the world is actually, it dwarfs the number of vehicles driven compared to cars. And of course, it's not being addressed in the way that the car industry is being addressed by dozens and dozens of electric car companies today. So here's this really big missing link where we don't see it, but two thirds of the human population cannot get to work without a motorcycle. The car is never going to make sense for more than half the world's population. It'll never make sense. It's not about incomes. It's not about affluence. It's about actually moving at more than three miles an hour. So Damon is not a power sports or a recreation sports company in the way you would look at Harley Davidson, making discretionary products for wealthy people. That's not what Damon is about. Damon is a transportation company. Then we have the two lads, which really don't fit into any of the categories of all of our other guests, but that's what makes them so interesting. Here are two mates that were on a path of personal self-destruction, came together and actually created their own tribe, so to speak, and of deep conversations that men don't typically have and breaking down barriers so that others can have those conversations. And being able to say, wow, how do we actually facilitate change? I can only speak from my personal experience, but it saved my life. It got me out of some pretty horrendous addiction. And it's not new. You know, the 12-step program is, is a big community. And this is just saying we're trying to set up something that that has all the benefits of 12-step but maybe can kind of give people a bit more of a reference without having something specific like alcohol to kind of ground it in. So we originally started a podcast to just kind of chat about our lives and just to try and model what that would look like to show that it's possible to go first. What I call putting the weapons down. The weapons being, even if I don't tell you how sad I am or how scared I am, then I unconsciously am trying to pretend to you that I know what I'm doing and you don't. And by going first, it's just by saying, I hope when people listen to the podcast, we go, God, sex is really a crazy thing. You know, we do this, I've done this and this is, and so it feels like people can come into it and go, oh, the weapons are down here. You know, it isn't a political thing or it isn't a looking good thing. It's just like we're putting the weapons down for a moment and saying, oh, God, isn't it weird being human? Isn't that a bit hard? And I struggle with this and anything is acceptable in that space. And what's amazing is as soon as you put the weapons down, 
it's incredible what happens with other people. Suddenly things that come out that people get to admit things. And the problem is with humans is you don't feel safe until someone's done it first. We're not telling people what to do. We're literally just kind of modeling through our own conversation, like what we've been through. Fucking hell, wasn't that crazy? What do you think? Oh yeah, you know, and and an open conversation that is ongoing. And it's ultimately... It's not a definite how-to. It's just we did it this way. It works for us. And maybe there's something in it for other people. And if that's the case, then that's amazing because that's biosmosis, what Connection's all about. Creating this podcast is bigger than what I expected it to be. There's a lot of passion and creativity and dedication put in each one of these. It's not just an episode of week. It's become a whole collection of stories so the book is coming but the podcast is precedent over the book because now we have so many amazing stories to share from the nasa lady who's bringing science and math into the classroom and making it fun to mercedes soria who battled a lot of challenges coming from foreign country to triumphing and becoming a woman leader in a tech innovation field I will take my mother to this day. She always said, if you set your mind to something, you will not fail. It will be difficult. I remember the day when we boarded the plane in Ecuador. She said, do whatever you have to do to achieve your goal. Even if you have to clean a toilet to be able to study, that's what you need to do. And that conviction that she had is how she raised us. As a part chief, I now know a lot more women who are in C-level positions, which is great. We're improving, but it is a boys' club and it will be until we change it one person at a time. If you're a woman, especially in technology in Silicon Valley, you have to prove your worth. It's assumed as soon as you come in, it's assumed that you don't know anything. You cannot possibly be an engineer. There's no way. So we have to work twice as hard to convince people that, hey, we do know what we're talking about. We do know what we're doing. And the thing that I've always done is I don't talk, I just show you. And that's the way I live my life. What do you think needs to be done to encourage more women to enter STEM careers? Because I, I know when I was growing up, I was discouraged. <laughs> you know, I was oftentimes the only girl in the math or advanced science class. And it was, you know, kind of frowned upon. And now I'm so happy to hear about the programs like Girls Who Code and Black Girls Who Code and different groups like that. Plus now your group, the Solve 24 are really working with kids the same way once upon a time you would have gone to Girl Scouts, right? Yeah. And this is like the next level up. So what needs to happen just to encourage more? I feel responsibility to change things. I wouldn't want any woman to go through some of the stuff that I went through and that I still go through. There's actually a lot of more women now that graduated in college with computer science degree. I think we're like 36%. So that's a big number. 36% of the computer science graduates are women, which is great. But the problem is the fact that, okay, I'm a woman, I'm Latin too. Does anybody at the leadership level in this company look like me or has the experience of life kind of like mine? And if I see all white men in their 50s and they're leading the company, number one, why would they care about me? They don't even know I exist. Number two, I don't look like them. So I really don't have a chance. 
why would they hire me as the only woman to be in a job that is that high? Nobody looks like me. So I think it's too prone. Number one, educate them when they're young. Educate them since they're little, just like my mother did. You can be whatever you want to be. There's no barrier for you. And if that is technology, yes, you will do it. And even if you are the only woman in that class, just go with it. So a lot more encouragement, I think, is needed. And then what would be ideal is more women kind of doing the job that I'm doing, which is telling our stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. So kids and women in positions that have the ability to get to either a board position or sometimes engineers. I mean, I mentored 12 engineers at Deloitte, and none of us thought that they would get to a management position, and now they're getting to management positions, and that is success. I look at Elon Musk, and I'm like, well, at what point and where did he start? Even though NASA has done a phenomenal job, when we look at the private sector, there is still such a long way to go when we look at Black and Brown women and men in the industry pursuing these careers and, you know, being able to open the door and create a pathway for other young people to come in and follow. My role is to inspire and engage and excite young people, especially girls, about STEM and STEAM and NASA and get them wanting to see that they can do this type of science and technology. They can become engineers. We had a not quite the greatest chemistry teacher. And I remember that we learned it out of a book because he didn't really want to spend the time to give us that classroom experience. And we were fine with that because, you know, junior year, I was 16. And what do 16-year-old girls want to do? They want to gossip and they want to giggle and they want to talk about boys. And the last thing they want to do is, you know, look at the periodic table of elements and mix together with some chemicals. So we were like, cool, he's not making us do any of that. And it wasn't until I got to college. And of course, I'm going to be a doctor. So I boldly go into U of I. I'm a pre-med major. So give me those pre-med classes. And that was what I realized I didn't have it. And that chemistry class was speed bump. And I was trying to figure out what was not right because I loved this stuff. I was smart. I had great grades in math. Why was this such a struggle? And I didn't really get it until later when I became a teacher. The inequities that exist in our school systems. And I think that's where we always miss the mark. We teach it the way that it's been taught and the passion's not there. So the students go, oh, I can't stand math. Oh my God, I hate science. But when it's taught right, you get this love for it and you get excited by the teacher in front of you who's presenting it because they're excited. We're all coming to the table together creating something. It's a gift back. I always say it's we're creating something special for each guest that they will feel proud about, that they'll share with their network or their family. But we're leaving a legacy, stories of people who are changing the way we live, how we work, how we think. 
We have conversations with Tyler Florence and Carla Mondavi about sustainability and not being wasteful and being purposeful and growing things with a conscience. And then we have Doug Evans, who brought some amazing products to market. But then he realized his passion was sprouts and wrote a sprout book and believes beyond the doubt that he can feed the world on pennies a day. There would be no plant life on the planet. There would be no life on the planet if seeds didn't germinate and sprout. And my discovery of sprouts came from necessity. I moved to the Mojave Desert near Joshua Tree. I pitched a tent and I was eating out of my cooler. And then about a day into it, as my cooler was going on to empty, I was like, oh, okay, let me just go on to Google and I typed vegan near me. And it was a big goose egg. There was nothing there. And I had to drive three hours that day round trip till I could get food. And it takes about 50 times more water to grow mature broccoli than it does to grow broccoli sprouts. So you can literally get a pound of broccoli sprouts with a gallon of water, but if you were to grow it in a garden on traditional agriculture, it would take about 50 gallons of water over a six month period to grow mature broccoli. So the water utilization, the environmental, there's so many benefits to sprouts. I think for the you know people that are listening to this, like you can start just with a mason jar and some seeds and we could change the world. So let's talk about that. Like how easy is it for somebody to get started? It's the easiest thing ever. The fact that you can grow sprouts without soil, sunshine, etc., that you could literally grow in a jar or unbleached paper towel with water for pennies a serving. Sprouts are the beginning of food equality and food justice in America. Right now, with hands down, there's enough food grown to feed the world. There's no doubt about it. It's just not managed properly. And there's no magic bullet. But I think there's several buckets of opportunity and kind of diving into all those and really sort of thinking about the two biggest buckets, which is sort of food waste right now, right? So it happens either at the farming level where farmers aren't using modern technology or they're not really using modern equipment or from an irrigation standpoint, from a harvesting standpoint. So there, there's a lot of waste that happens on the ground. And then the second half of it, which I think is the biggest culprit, is food waste at the grocery stores in America right now, right? And this is just sort of a, a first world problem. The tomatoes aren't beautiful or if the apples aren't beautiful, they go in the dumpster. 40% of all food that ends up at a grocery store ends up in the dumpster. And then 30% of food that comes home ends up in the garbage can. So there's an enormous amount of food waste that happens on small micro levels on a daily basis, just because it's not pretty. And so I, I think there's a lot of different issues around that, that I think food could be distributed more equitably around the country in different pockets of what they call food deserts, even in California here, because it takes 26 gallons of water to grow one head of roaming lettuce. So now that we're kind of into what some scientists are calling the beginning of a four or five year drought, like thinking through that sad head of lettuce in your crisper, why would you let that rot? You got to use it. You got to use that stuff up. I feel so blessed to be able to make wine. It's, it is 
what I think about when I'm going to bed and when I'm waking up and I love the art of farming and the art of making wine. And that's the thing that I want to do until I'm a hundred years old, if I'm so lucky. The biggest problem right now is that there's all sorts of challenges that are limiting farming at a higher level. And part of that is the economic divide. And so right now to farm at a high level, it's more expensive. You know, I never thought in a million years that I would be involved in a technology company or a tractor company. I certainly love tractors. I always have, but I got involved in this so that we could bridge those divides and we could solve these major pain points for farmers, farms, agricultural communities. Right now, turning on one diesel tractor is like turning on 17 cars. And so even if we are farming organically or regeneratively or biodynamically, we still have that carbon footprint associated. So at bare minimum, we want to be able to mitigate that for the farmers. If you can drive these new autonomous vehicles, if you can take a Tesla, for example, one of the originators of all of this electrification, sustainability, and getting away from fossil fuel and into renewable energy, if you can take one of their cars at 70 miles per hour down a freeway, put it in autonomous mode, and have it change lanes with all the craziness that's happening on a freeway, why can't you do the same thing on a tractor at two and three miles per hour? We want to be a solution to making farmers safer, healthier, happier, and more profitable at the end of the day so that we can continue to do what we love. This is a global problem that we're having, and it needs to be corrected. Farmers are the most important people on the planet. We need farmers. Not to get like too hippy-dippy, even though I'm a Californian, but every single guest that has been on the show and the ones that are coming up have personally impacted my perception and my my thoughtfulness and my my personal character and i think about oh what can i do to make myself better or what could i do more consciously each day if you have an idea it's absolutely your responsibility like an idea is an inspiration you know it comes from whatever higher source you want to claim it comes from and if you don't apply that idea you know, you are given a gift and someone else is going to. And it's, it's really your responsibility to see it through. I believe that very fully. And it comes with an enormous amount of difficulty and tough times. But if you believe in what you're doing is bigger than what you're giving up, it's an equation that you can justify. We have to set a goal that's seemingly impossible because it changes what we believe that we can do. So we crawled through 2020. We flew through 2021. We're going to keep accelerating into 2022. And I can't wait to bring you along with me. When we were first getting started, I used to always think about this show as a road trip. I would think, who would I want to travel with? And the answer always came down to who had the most interesting stories. My goal with each conversation on Before It Happened is to make you feel like you're in the car with us on every journey. So... Not looking back in the rearview mirror. Goodbye 2021 and hello 2022. We're ready for some more adventures before it happened. Before It Happened is produced by me, Donna Laughlin, along with Studio Pod Media. The executive producer is Katie Sunku Wood. And all episodes are written and developed by Jack Bure with additional editing and music provided by Nota Lab. <laughs>